You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Father God, we just thank you that you just bring clarity and focus to us this afternoon. Lord, as, as you speak to us, may we hear what you have to say to each of us as individuals. May we, um, may we just be open to receive from you and to be uh, moulded and, and made into the image of Jesus this afternoon. So just um, yeah, bring, bring your truth uh, through this message, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's uh, start with that little... Is there a video there, Dom? Awesome. We're here tonight at uh, Shadle Park High School's homecoming game against the Lewis and Clark Tigers. And so far, Shadle Park's already up by two touchdowns. It's a pretty exciting game. And that was a great play we just saw. And of course, you can see that the fans are here behind me and they're pretty excited. They're clapping and cheering. And uh, you know, fans are great, aren't they? In fact, every team I know wants more of them. Everybody wants more fans. Well, everybody except Jesus. Jesus really isn't into fans so much. In fact, Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants followers. And there's a big difference between fans and followers. In fact, I might even compare it to this football game. That uh, Jesus isn't looking for people just to stand on the sidelines and cheer. He's looking for people that want to get in the game. Jesus is looking for players, for teammates, not fans. Someone told me once, they said uh, that a football game is thousands of people sitting in the stands who need exercise, watching two dozen young men on the field who are tired and don't need the exercise. The church is a little bit that way sometimes, where I think people come and they're fans of Jesus. They sit, they watch, but don't really get involved. Jesus wants to get you in the game. That's the whole idea. He wants, he's looking for teammates. He's looking for players, not just fans who'll sit and cheer. I learned a long time ago there's two ways to enjoy a game. One way, sit and watch it. The other way is to play it. I've done both, and trust me, it's a lot more fun to play. So, enjoy the game. Oh, fan or follower, play the game. <laughs> the, uh, the, the school I went to, the central school I grew up going to, Airy Park Central, its school motto was play the game. And uh, that's a slightly uh, doctored version of our school motto, our school uh, crest. And it's a motto that reflects uh, value, uh, the values participation and involvement action rather than standing by and watching others do it and we had this this logo on our sports t-shirt and you might remember several weeks ago when Cindy did a communion message and she was talking about always being picked kind of last on the teams do you remember that that message she did and man I was sitting there relating <laughs> to every word she said um and uh, I, I was always picked kind of towards the end, 
never completely last because there are always a, a few kids at the school that were considered both unsporty and in some other way uh, socially undesirable. And, and the way it went at our school was that the, the sporty, footy, netball-playing Catholic kids were always picked first. A and then um, the, the Baptist cohort were kind of picked towards the end. And um, it's probably because the, the, us Baptist kids were, we were wizards with our Bibles, but we really weren't so good when it came to our ball skills. And uh, there, there really was this, this odd Catholic-Baptist divide, and, and certainly religious sectarianism was alive and well in the early 90s in Area Park. Um, but today I want us to have a think about what it means to play the game in matters of faith. Are we a fan of Jesus or are we a follower of Jesus? And we're going to have a little look at Mark chapter 8 verse 34 and have a bit of a, a, a think about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So Mark, Mark chapter 8, 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So, I mean, why did Jesus say this to his disciples? Like, they'd already given up a fair bit to come and, and follow him, hadn't they? So why did, why did he say this to them and what on earth did he mean by it and what do you think they understood by this? If you had a look at the, the context there, verse 31, actually we'll have a quick read of that too, I think. Chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus says, he, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So the, the, the context of Jesus making this big statement is, is him talking about suffering, about him being killed and rising again. And he was speaking quite plainly, the scriptures tell us. There were no metaphors or figurative speaking here. He was talking about him really suffering, real death. And, and Peter, um, ever the, the, the man with wisdom, <laughs> took Jesus aside for a quiet, uh, gentle word of rebuke, didn't he? You know, he told Jesus, hey, Man, you're confessing negativity into your life. You know, your words have creative power, Jesus. Stop prophesying death upon yourself. Speak life. Be positive. And what was Jesus' reply? Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Because the thing is, the, the human way is victory through strength and success, isn't it? Strength and success is how we measure victory. But the God way of victory is through suffering and death. 
I think we don't really think of victory in the same way that God does normally, do we? We think of victory like a sports victory. Which team is stronger and faster and more skilled and more able? We, we think of victory like a sports fan thinks of victory. You know, all the, yeah, with none of the sweat or the blood. If you're a fan, you're, you're, you're concerned about ease and comfort, aren't you? I mean, why get out there on the field and like run and sweat and get clobbered when you can sit in the seats and eat a meat pie? I mean, come on. I mean, it's a no-brainer, isn't it, if you're a fan? Uh, A fan is not interested in training, are they? I mean, they don't want to put in the hard yards behind the scenes, the hours of boring exercise and practice outside of the game. They want an easy commitment once a week. When everyone else is is there and and there's excitement and there's action, a fan... uh, stays a fan on the sidelines and and they don't get in the game because they're scared they might lose. Hmm? They don't want to have a go because they're worried they'll let the rest of the team down and they feel inferior. They think, man, it'd be embarrassing if I miss a shot or drop the ball in front of others. And their pride says, well, stay a fan, stay in the seats because it's safer there. Whereas someone who plays the game, they're happy to get sweaty and happy to feel a bit sore and a bit uncomfortable. And they know that training, training is important. And they're they're committed to the the everyday practice as much as the main game on the weekend. And they're willing to risk their pride to have a go in front of others. And they're willing to risk losing or missing a shot. You're sensing a few parallels here to church life. A fan of Jesus is someone who has human concerns in mind, their own concerns in mind. A fan of Jesus is more concerned about their own personal comfort and pleasures in life than they are interested in Jesus. Their priorities in life will be very different to a follower of Jesus. A fan of Jesus will stay, you know, on the edge of kingdom and church life and not get too involved. Being a fan of Jesus won't really change you or change your daily life. The thing is, though, Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And so a follower of Jesus looks like this. They do three things, three things that a follower of Jesus does. The first thing is that they surrender themselves to Jesus. So whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus says, must deny themselves. When it comes to following Jesus, a disciple is someone who denies themselves and surrenders all of who they are, their body, their soul, their heart, their mind, their strength to Jesus. Denying is to renounce or abandon or relinquish something it's to give up yourself it's to disown yourself and 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 it makes no grammatical sense does it to deny yourself to give up yourself Uh, it doesn't make sense to us and 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 the idea really is so foreign to our culture that that our English words and sentences struggle to express it adequately and and if, if we can't even um, grammatically express it, how much more difficult do, do we in our culture find to actually do this stuff? 
You think about all of the, the ads you see on TV, things that say, obey your thirst, obey your cravings, be true to yourself, build your wealth, you deserve it. Have you ever tried to stop thinking about yourself? It's, it's hard. It's really hard. So much of our day is taken up with us. What I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what I'm wearing, what I'm doing, what I want. I mean, if you did a tally of how much time you spend in a day thinking about yourself versus Jesus, like, it'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? I mean, I know, I know what my tally would show. Um, and I think it'd be even difficult to actually even do that tally because we spend so much time thinking about ourselves that we don't even realise we're thinking about ourselves. I mean, what's, what's your usual first thought on waking? I mean, it's probably, where's the toilet, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm generally thinking about coffee. <laughs> Pretty closely followed by... What day of the week is it and do I need, my, need to make lunch for my kids? That's sort of the, <laughs> the two things I've got going on there. I mean, how easy is it to finish this sentence? What I really want is... I mean, I bet you could come up with five things like that. What I really want is... We need to stop listening so much to our own desires we, we need to when we deny ourselves we need to forget about our own interests you know what will what will make me happy what will make me thin what will make me strong what will make me rich what will make me comfortable make me satisfied make me feel like I'm in more control of my life what will make me popular and liked what will make me valuable in the church what will make me successful in my ministry You know, we can spiritualise our selfishness and we can trick ourselves into thinking that it's not still all about us, can't we? Denying yourself means to put yourself last. Uh, denying yourself means to put someone else in the line ahead of us. Do you ever do that at Aldi? Anyone here shop at Aldi? And are you like me? And your trolley is so insanely humongous that in the time it takes you to unpack, you've let about five people in in front of you. Yeah? Yeah. It's embarrassing. You know, I went shopping the other day. This has got nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just, you know, debriefing. Um, and I had to go to... I had so many groceries I had to buy. I actually had to go to Aldi twice and Woolies once. And I, I literally had a jam-packed trolley in each location. And, and I was too embarrassed by the third big trolley full at Aldi to say to the man who was commenting on how much stuff I had that that was actually like my third trolley load for the day. Like, it's embarrassing, so much stuff. Anyway, the point is, do you ever let people in the line in front of you? Okay, that's what it means to put others first. What about when you became a parent? Think back to when you became a parent and you had to put your newborn baby first. I mean, when we became parents, man, it was a rude shock. <laughs> it was horrific. I mean, we loved our dear little baby. But life was no longer normal and would never be again. Life was no longer about me and no longer about us. It was about that baby. 
that never slept and cried all the time and demanded constant attention 24-7. And when we became parents, we had to put ourselves last because the baby was clearly putting himself first. And so for the Christian, it means to put Jesus in the line ahead of you. To think about him first, to consider his desires and interests more important than our own. It's to live in obedience to Jesus' teachings. To follow his plans, copy his ways, think like he thinks and want what he wants. It's to honour him as the best and the greatest. It's giving up the right to control our own desire and destiny and placing ourselves in his hands. Surrendering to Jesus, it really goes to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Someone asked me recently, what was it about Saul that God would have been looking for in order to call him uh, uh, to minister as the the Apostle Paul? Because the thing is, Saul wasn't looking for a call to serve Jesus, was he? It came unexpectedly and it would seem almost against his will, wouldn't it? So why on earth did God call him into service? And I think the answer is Saul was 100% passionately, completely, totally sold out to God. All he wanted in life was to honour God. Saul was completely surrendered in heart, soul and strength to God. And he, you know, he needed a bit of re-education and a bit of revelation, didn't he? But, but at his heart he knew that you were either for God or you were against him. There was no middle ground. And it's like that with God. God wants followers, not fans. You either play the game or you're opposing the game. The measure and mark of a true disciple will be the extent to which someone surrenders oneself to Jesus. And for the authority of Jesus to be expressed through us, we must first completely surrender ourselves to him. And if you want to grow in your, your ministry expression and the fruitfulness of your life, if you want to fulfill the mandate that he has upon your life, you need to learn how to deny yourself. I guess the challenge for us is... If we don't see the authority of Jesus expressed through us, to what extent might that be because we haven't fully surrendered all to Jesus? You know, if, if our spiritual life is, is flat and a bit blah, is it because we're sitting slumped in the spectator seats, tired and you know, sluggish from our diet of hot dogs and coke? Or is it because we're not training during the week too busy to train, too busy to get some, some Bible into us, some prayer. Too busy to take a, a Sabbath rest day. Or is it because we're not, we're not putting our, our heart out on the line and risking all in the game and we're, we're holding back where it's safe in the spectator seats? Here's the thing, as human beings, we'll deny ourselves to, to lose weight, won't we? I mean, we'll deny ourselves to go to work. I mean, who here really often gets up and goes, whoa, work day? No, no, there's a, there's a bit of self-denial, isn't there, to get up and go to work. We'll deny ourselves to save for a holiday. We'll deny ourselves to go and play or watch sport. But will we deny ourselves to follow Jesus? Will we deny ourselves to mature in our faith, to grow in the knowledge and power of Jesus? to be wise like him, to be loving like him. 
thing is surrendering to Jesus is a daily decision. It's a bit like dieting and exercise, isn't it? I mean, you, you don't ever decide once, one day, to give up sugar and, and, and that's it. You, you never ever touch sugar again. I mean, it's a daily decision, isn't it? You know, if, if you're saying um, no to sugar today and, 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 and yes to salad, you've got to do that every day. Okay, tomorrow you've got to say no to sugar again and yes to the salad again because as soon as you stop saying no to the sugar, man, it's back and the salad's gone, isn't it? Hmm? And so surrendering to Jesus is like that. It's a daily decision we make. And, and that's been my own faith experience. It's an ongoing thing. And, and the extent to which I was able to uh, surrender to Jesus when I was 25, it was really quite limited compared to when I was 35 and I think it'll be again it'll be different and 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 hopefully more when I'm 45 and so surrendering to Jesus is an ongoing process rather than a one-time only event you know a life of faith is not just say the sinner's prayer get baptized then hang around until you die and go to heaven it's daily denial The decision you made three months ago or three years ago or three decades ago, it's not going to spur you on to love and good deeds today. One of my favourite hymns, and you'll be familiar with this hymn, but it's one that's always ministered to me. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Saviour. I surrender all. Someone who plays the game... They're okay about a bit of personal discomfort. I mean, perhaps that's understating it. They're they're okay about suffering. They know how to deny themselves for Jesus, like Jesus. Of course, the second part of this equation, surrendering all to Jesus, denying yourself, the second thing a follower of Jesus does is that they identify with Jesus. And, and they take up their cross. And so identifying with Jesus in, in his experiences and the context of taking up your cross means to identify with him in his suffering and his self-sacrifice. And if you were here a couple of months ago when Jeff Morton from uh, Queensland came and he preached on the benefits of suffering. Do you remember that? The benefits of suffering. Go back and listen to it. It's a great message. I think this is probably the least appealing part of the gospel, isn't it? Hmm? On the surface. I think it's also one of the most profound parts of the gospel. The tough reality is there's a price to pay for true discipleship. If you want to be a competitive or successful athlete or football player, there will be personal discomfort involved. There'll be training There'll be special diets. There might be some injuries. And then there's the actual game. It's tough. It's sweaty. I don't do sweaty so well. 
many people in this world, the reality is many people in this world have a quite a pleasant, comfortable, nice life without Jesus. I mean, they have a few frustrations here and there, but on the whole, their life is pretty okay. And the vice, vice versa could be said. There are many Christians out there, godly, faith-filled believers who love Jesus. And I tell you what, there's, there's tragedy and trauma and heartache they've got to deal with. Some people are fans of Jesus because of the benefits. Now, there are, there are benefits. Okay, there are, there are definitely benefits. Um, but sometimes the benefits aren't quite what we think they are. All right, And sometimes they don't quite happen in the way we think they should happen. God's way of doing things is usually quite different to our own way. And so when the perceived benefits seem to dwindle, then their interest in Jesus and in the church dwindles too. Do you know people like that? They, they come for a time, they get involved for a time, and then the, the, the perceived benefits sort of aren't evolving and they, they lose interest in the game. We've been looking through the book of Mark and, and we see there in the book of Mark that, that crowds will follow Jesus for his miracles. But do those same crowds follow him to the cross? We see thousands sitting on the hillside to be fed with loaves and fish by Jesus. But how many do we see weeping at the cross while he's being crucified? We've got Peter here in this story and, and he identifies with Jesus while the supernatural miracles and ministry are flowing but denies him three times in the courtyard with the shadow of the crucifixion looming. Jesus reminds us to take up our cross because we, we so easily revert to the human perspective on life rather than God's perspective. Uh, the human perspective, all comfort, no sweat. The God perspective is self-sacrifice for the sake of others. Daryl Johnson says this, he says, The greatest power in the universe is the, inverted commas, weakness of sacrificial love. And the greatest wisdom in the universe is the, inverted commas, foolishness of sacrificial love. When you take up your cross, you are participating in sacrificial love. You are identifying with Jesus, just like Jesus suffered and sacrificed himself in love for the benefit and blessing of others. We're also uh, told, we're, we're commanded actually, we're not, it's, this isn't a suggestion. Jesus says you must take up your cross. A disciple must take up their cross. Like Jesus, and we're, we're told to give out of ourselves in love for the benefit and the blessing of others. And it's a type of love that really doesn't make sense to our world. It seems weak and foolish. Our world is interested in rights and our obligations. You know, our world actually legislates kindness and fairness. What a bizarre thought. Um, we, our world thinks it's foolish to let others walk all over you or get the better of you. And we want success and we want others to admire us and we want to be noticed. We all want to be noticed, even if it's the unnoticed kind of noticed, okay? Like, you might not like being front and centre, all right? But, but we all want others to honour us and admire us and think we're the best, even if it is quietly. Sacrificial love flips all of that on its head. And, and, but, but what does sacrificial love look like? What does it look like, do you think? 
I'm going to say there's, there's about 7.5 billion different ways sacrificial love looks. 7.5 billion different ways. Okay? As many people as there are on this planet, that's how many different ways there are to take up our cross, like Jesus. Okay? That's how many different ways there are to take up our cross like Jesus. As many people as there are on the planet, it will look different for each one of you. Mark 10.45 For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When you take up the cross, your cross, you play the game as a servant. If I knew more about football or netball, I could give you an analogy of a play position that kind of stays in the background and sets the ball up for someone else to score. Does that exist in netball or football? What's it called? Wing attack. All right. Okay. So you're the wing attack, church. You're the wing attack, all right? Your, your job is to set things up so that someone else can score. Your aim in life is to serve Jesus and serve others. It's no longer about you looking great. It is no longer about your success or your comfort. It is about Jesus and others. And so your new goal is to serve others so that they excel. Serve Jesus so that his name is famous in your workplace, famous in your neighbourhood, famous in your family, famous in your social media feed, whatever. Imagine if everyone did that. Jesus knew that the only way for humanity to excel and, and flourish and thrive was for them to be reunited with him. Okay, they're God and creator. And, uh, you know, we've chosen our own way, our own human concerns and priorities rather than the ways and the concerns of God. And um, when you turn away from God, you are turning away from life. And when we turn towards ourselves, you know what we found? Brokenness, loss, hurt, greed, self-gain, because we're stuck in the vicious cycle that says, it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. You don't matter, this world doesn't matter, it's all about me. My gain, my gain at your expense. That's the cycle humanity gets stuck in. My gain at your expense. And you know what? It doesn't work, does it? Our world dies, we die. And Jesus came and instead of my gain at your expense, he showed us a new way. Your gain at my expense. And that's the cross. That's the cross. Our gain at Jesus' expense. Wow. My life, his death. My victory, his suffering. I mean, Wow. It, it turns our whole way of looking at life upside down. And, and so our life in Christ then becomes sacrificial and servant-like. It becomes, you know, your gain at my expense. And, and your gain at my expense. And, and your gain at my expense. And your gain at my expense. And your gain at my expense. Wow. You know, I wonder, I wonder if you could turn to someone near you and say to them, your gain at my expense. Do that. Do that right now. Turn to someone near you. Your gain at my expense. 
There's someone behind you. Go find them. Now, that works okay for the people sitting, that you're sitting next to because chances are whoever you're sitting next to in church you kind of like, all right, a bit at least. But, but like, here's the challenge. Could you say that to the person that annoys you? Don't get up right now. No, 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 there's no one here. But, but, but seriously, like in your neighbourhood or in your, in your family or, or out there, could you say your gain at my expense to the person that just rubs you up the wrong way? Hmm? That's hard. Are you willing to, to, to keep on doing this, keep on living this, even if you don't see fruit or outcomes from your sacrifice? I mean, it might take a long time before your gain at my expense makes a notable difference in people's life. You've got to stick with people. This, this is what it means to play the game. And, and as a church, you know, I, I, I'm looking for people who understand this and, and, and I'm, seeing, I'm seeing a room full of people who get this stuff, don't you? And, and in churches, you know, when we're looking for, for opportunities for people to uh, serve in significant ministry roles or opportunities to, to, to lead or, or speak into the life of this church in some way, I'm looking for people with servant leadership hearts. You know, you don't have to be incredibly popular or confident or experienced or talented. You just need to have a servant heart. Hey, that's all I'm looking for. And I see people who are like this. So be encouraged. Get in the game. If you've got a servant heart, that's all you need. That's all you need. Mark 8, 34. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So whoever's a follower of Jesus, whoever's a disciple of Jesus must de- deny themselves, surrender all. They must take up their cross, identify with Jesus in his life of self-sacrificial love and then they must follow Jesus. So someone who follows Jesus is someone who does what Jesus did. You know, when you cross the line of faith and when Jesus comes and lives in you by his spirit and he resides in us and he lives in us, it's like he puts us on and we put him on. And so following Jesus really should be the natural outcome of being born again. But what does it look like? What does it look like? Firstly, it looks like this. Saying yes to the things Jesus would say yes to and saying no to the things he would say no to. Question then, of course, becomes how are you going to know what this is? And really, it's, it's a question that you need to ask and answer for yourselves. Like, what do you need to, to, to put in place in your life to foster or to develop a Jesus heart and a Jesus mindset? Secondly, it's a no-strings-attached yes to Jesus, even if you don't know exactly where he's leading you or when something is outside of your security and comfort zone. A no strings attached yes to Jesus. And the challenge for us then is, is what do you need to have in your life so that you are being fed and challenged spiritually? So that Jesus is actually guiding you somewhere. Because you know he wants to guide you somewhere, don't you? 
How are you building your faith so that you have the courage to say yes when he does point you in a direction? Hmm? When, when that direction is a direction that you don't have all the answers, you don't have all the ability, you don't have the whole plan, you don't have the finances, where failure is an option, what are you building in your life so that you have the courage and faith to say yes anyway? And, and the third part of that is how will, you, how will you actually know that it's actually Jesus who's leading you somewhere? Because it's really easy for other people to lead us. It's easy for our work colleagues or the latest scientific health study or our Facebook news feeds or our Instagram feeds or our YouTube blogs or tweets or organisations or parents or friends. It's so easy for all of those other things in our life to lead us. How will you know that it's Jesus who's leading you? And so what we need to do is we need to uh, put scaffolds into our life, uh, practices, things that, that will enable us to uh, know that it's Jesus, that will enable us to have the faith to respond to him. The third part of, of what it looks like to follow Jesus is showing and doing the love of the Father in this world. How is it that you individually show love? I mean, are you someone that does practical things for people? Are you a hugger? Are you a hugger? <laughs> are you an encourager? Are you a gift giver? Do you open your home? Do you open your prayer life? How is it that you show love, show the love of the Father in this world? And then the next question of that is, is, is what are you doing or what will you do to give yourself that regular opportunity to love on people just like our Heavenly Father loves on us? The fourth part of doing what Jesus did is, is about adoring and enjoying God. That's worship. That's worship. And to worship is anything that brings you to a place of, wow, God. That might be music, it might be singing, it might be creation, it might be something beautiful, it might be time in the Word, it might be time in prayer. But we all need to spend time saying, wow, God. And if you're not able to regularly say, wow, God, then you know, you're, you're being robbed of the beauty of life with Jesus. What is it that brings you to a place of, wow? God, what does that for you? Now, I have routines in my life, and I'm sure many or most of you have routines in your life. And, and when we have routines of prayer and Bible reading and Bible study with others, when we have um, times of being mentored or memorising scripture, when we serve others, when we volunteer. All of these structures in our life help us to look like Jesus. And I still, I still have a way to go on my journey, but I know how important it is to have these routines and structures in my life. They're like scaffolds that help me have a, a Jesus mindset that give me the faith to respond to Jesus, that see that Jesus is, is daily challenging me and leading me um, so that I might 
truly be a follower of Jesus. So how each one of us follow Jesus is going to look quite different. We don't all have to, to do this in the same way. But what I want to say is we all need routines and structures to be able to do it. Otherwise, we drift to the brightest light, to the latest experience, to the new sound. We'll just drift. How, how does following Jesus look for you? How has he made you? What has he called you to, to be in this world? And how do you connect with him? It's a beautiful and desirable thing to step into. What's stopping you? What's stopping you? A word of warning. Um, sometimes the things that Jesus gives us or calls us to do end up being the things that get in the way of us following him. So those the gifts, the talents, the, the uh, you know, opportunities, the work, whatever it might be, can actually be the thing that hinders our, our walk with God. Uh, you, you might have heard of someone by the name of Joshua Harris. He's a mega church pastor, wrote a best-selling book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. You might have heard of Marty Sampson. They might be a bit more well-known, worship leader from Hillsong. You know, both of those in, in, recent, in recent weeks have, have fallen away from faith and have declared that, you know, they're, they're now no longer believers. They've done it very publicly. And I, I tend to think it's, it, they've been a victim of, of their own success. You know, the, the very things that, that God gifted them with and called them to have been the very things that have actually hindered their, their relationship with God. Uh, because we can get so invested in, in the doing of what God provides us or calls us to do that we forget the one who gave and we forget the one who called. And we, we get good at doing our jobs and we work hard at it and, and we get in this addictive spiral where we start to measure our success and worth through the job or through the ministry. And we lose time and desire for the simple refreshing routines of just being with Jesus. So if the idea of surrendering to Jesus and denying yourself and identifying his suffering and taking up your cross sounds a little bit hard or a bit undesirable or possibly even impossible, I want you to remember this. Hebrews 12.2 For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There is a great fruitfulness, there's an inheritance, there's a gain we receive in following Jesus. And that gain is real, lasting joy that enters your life. If I was to say to you, who here values joy? I think we're all going to say yes to that, aren't we? It's a kingdom principle that the more you lay down your life, the more life is returned to you. And, and I don't just mean the more you get busy doing stuff because you'll burn out and, you know, that's probably why maybe you're feeling empty if you're feeling empty. But when you lose yourself by surrendering to Jesus, you'll see that the fruit of the kingdom will grow in your life. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and mercy, goodness, self-control. And that's because in surrendering to Jesus, you know what you give up? selfish ambition and you give up anger and you give up disharmony in your relationships you give up disharmony inside your own heart 
and you stop obsessing over yourself and what others think about you and you're no longer worried about having stuff and getting more stuff and getting better stuff and you'll have stopped making immoral choices and you'll have stopped listening to other spiritual influences and your addictions will have fallen away. You know, when you think about it, what you give up, it's really not worth much at all, is it? And what you gain, man, it's gold. Don't follow Jesus because you have to. Follow him for the joy set before you. It's the joy that's set before you that will keep you going through the suffering and the sacrifice. The joy set before you will will fire you and fill you to keep on going. When I was in year nine at school, I decided I'd have a go at succeeding in a sports activity. So I chose the athletics carnival. And do you know what I did? I trained. I did. I grew up on a farm. And so I I sort of had this running track measured out. I had my sprint track. And then I had my long distance running track measured out. I made myself a long jump pit. There was all this sort of sandy red dirt dust stuff. So I had my long jump pit set up. And I trained each day, each afternoon after school. I'd come home and I'd be out there running and jogging and sprinting and jumping. Several weeks leading up to the school athletics carnival. And guess what? Like I did well. (laughs) I got lots of firsts and seconds and and places in various (laughs) events. I mean, normally I'd manage a first in my age race, but that was pretty much it. And this time, multiple places multiple events. I went from loser to winner. I went from sidelines to in the action. It was amazing. And you know what? I gave up in those afternoons after school in the the sweat and the the kind of literal heartache probably. Uh, It was more than surpassed by the joy of participating in that carnival and winning. And I did those things. I trained. I did that because I had a goal. I had a joy set before me. I wanted it. I was hungry for it. And so, so today, you know, if, if, if you're a fan and you know that, you know, you've got a, a bit of work to do in this follower department and, and, and you realise you, you do actually want to get in the game because you know that right now you're settling for second best. And you're missing out right now. Um, but but if, if you're feeling that, but you're also feeling that it's just too hard, too hard to, um, to get out and play the game. You know, it's too big a thing to do. You're too scared or you don't know how to. You don't know how to change the priorities of your heart or the routines in your life. I encourage you. I encourage you. You know, it takes time to grow in these areas. This is a tough passage. Don't be too tough on yourself. But if you, if you feel like you're, you're, you're sitting in the crowd and you're cheering and you're wearing the team colours, but, but you know that you want to be a player and you don't know how to get from fan to follower, here's my advice to you. Stop eating the hot dogs. Stop eating the hot dogs. Okay, I'll explain that one. <laughs> If you don't know what to do, 
Try not doing. Try this. Stop doing stuff so that you get hungry. You need to be hungry. Find something you can stop in your life so that you actually have space to start something or to continue something with Jesus because it's in the stopping that you will get hungry. Ask God to stir up a hunger for Jesus in your life. Ask him to stir up the joy. Ask him to reveal to you the joy set before you. You know, the life he calls you as his follower, it's not always easy. But it is always good. And as you deny yourself and surrender to Jesus, as you take up your cross, as you do what Jesus did by following his example, you'll experience a joy and a satisfaction that only comes when you play the game. Let's pray. Lord God, you made us to be players and we want to be players. Stir us up, Jesus, Where, wherever we are in our, our journey with you, wherever we are currently in our, our, uh, our surrender to you and, and whatever we currently do that, that denies ourselves for your glory. Lord, we want to we go further. We want to go deeper. We, wanna, we want more. We, we want less of us and more of you. We want our lives to be uh, so, so focused on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, we, we surrender ourselves to you afresh. Lord, give us the courage uh, to deny ourselves and to live a life as, as servants, to live a life of self-sacrifice. And would you reveal to us, Jesus, the great, long-lasting, eternal joy that is found in living a life that identifies with you, Jesus. May we, CRC Coolum, and truly be a church of followers not just fans, but followers. And Lord, we pray for all of those people who are not here today. Lord, would you just minister to those people, minister healing where they need healing, minister encouragement where they need encouragement, minister them love where they need love, and Lord, where they you know, need to stop eating the hot dogs. May they just have a revelation of that too. We commit ourselves to you and your leadership, Jesus. Amen.